I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast where you can be a nice where you can learn to be a nice, awesome mom. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 77. Today we're talking about the five rules of parenting. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable and more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindfulness Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and take family and life to a new level of awakening. (laughs) Ta-da! I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, which is coming up soon, you guys, in like September, October. And I'm the mom of two girls, ages 7 and 10. So I am so grateful that you are here, dear listener. Today, we are very lucky to have on again, my very special, special friend, Carla Nomberg. Hello, I'm your special (laughs) friend. And I am here to talk to you about special things that special friends talk about. (laughs) Hi, Carla, you crack me up. Oh my God. We just crack ourselves up. I hope we crack other people up too. I hope we're cracking you up, dear listener, because we are really grateful for that you are here. And Carla and I are here this week, um, as or this time as we come together uh, approximately once a month uh, to um, talk about all things to do with mindful parenting. And Carla, I'll let you introduce yourself. Sure. My name is Carla Nomberg, and I'm a clinical social worker. I have a practice where I work primarily with parents uh, outside of Boston, and I'm also the author of two books on mindfulness and parenting. The first one is called Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters, and the second one is called Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Children for Fewer Meltdowns and a More Peaceful Family. And I live outside Boston with my husband and my two daughters who are seven and eight and a half. Yes. And our daughters got along. So Carla and I got together and our daughters, like, they were like, 
instant friends. It was really yeah, total buds. It, it was, was very nice. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was terribly satisfying. Um, so today we are going to be talking about this article that Carla and I both uh, read and liked and wanted to just share with you. And it's called the Five Rules of Parenting. And now, <laughs> I, I don't have anything exciting like that that people can sign up for. I do have a clinical practice, but um, <laughs> I, I, I don't have retreats. But if you want to come drink coffee with me, I live outside of Boston. I'll drink coffee with pretty much anybody. <laughs> I love that. Doesn't That's okay. that make me sound fancy and important? Oh, Carla, I'm coming up to Boston soon. I'm gonna have to let you know when we get Ooh, off and, the air, <laughs> and then we'll drink. And then we'll drink coffee. We'll drink coffee. It sounds good. I'll be decaf because I'm gonna be like that. <laughs> Except maybe it's early in the morning. Okay, but here we go. We're going to talk about this article. So it's an, this is a great article by Mike Troiano, and it's from a few years back. But uh, basically, the gist of it is he talks about this the five rules of parenting, and he said, as he puts it, it's after fifty four cumulative years of parenting oh because gosh. he has four uh, kids um, who range in age from college to second grade. Um, so he has a sort of like whole range of parenting with kids um so well I don't know how you parent without kids but he parents with kids <laughs> <laughs> we all have like summer brain today bear with us dear listeners we have our summer brains on yes we have our summer brains so um Carla I just, you know, so he brings it through like the stages, right? The baby stage and things like that. Do you want to share your kind of like overall um, impression of like kind of what he said? And then I want I would like to look at the different sort of stages as we look at this. Yeah. So my husband actually sent me this article, I think around the time it first came out. And um, I, I kind of skimmed over it and then it got lost in the shuffle. So I, I was happy to revisit it. Um, so he talks about the baby stage, toddler, child stage, teen stage, and grown, and kind of the lessons he's learned from each stage. And like, I think it's generally a very good article and he's got sort of one core lesson for each one. And I think the one that I struggled with the most, um, is the baby stage in terms of his advice. So we can start there. His advice for the baby stage is if you love them, they'll be okay. And I sort of am okay with that, but I feel like um, when parents go and ask for support for their baby, if someone was like, oh, just go home and love them and they'll be fine, <laughs> um, like, well, sometimes it's like, okay, I, I love this baby, but my love is not going to get this baby to drink their antibiotics. Like, I actually need to know how to get my baby to drink their antibiotics and, and like giving them lots of love isn't going to help with that. So I think as a, as an anxious new parent, that probably would have really frustrated me. Um, and if I was an anxious new parent and my anxiety was not about a specific issue related to my child, well, actually I was an anxious new parent. I don't have to give you the if I was terribly anxious. I had postpartum anxiety that was not diagnosed until years later. And it was, it was, um, making me crazy and I wasn't sleeping and I was having an incredibly challenging time and I was worried about everything. Um, and a doctor saying that to me would have been kind, but not particularly helpful because what I, oh, and the reason I say a doctor saying that to me is because the author shares that he heard this advice, if you love them, they'll be okay, from his mother, who heard it from her pediatrician years ago and then shared it with the, the author. So if, if a doctor had said that to me, I think that would have been um, problematic because 
I, I needed more support than that. Like I ended up needing the support of a therapist and I ended up needing the support of a community of other mothers who were willing to say, I'm struggling too. Like for me, yeah. the question was, and for some mothers, I know that they struggle to feel attached to their children and saying, if you love them, they'll be okay to that mother might feel like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know if I love this child enough. And for me, I knew I loved my children enough, but I was so lost in my own anxiety. I couldn't be present for them. That's how I got to the space where I was yelling a lot. That's what ultimately brought me to mindfulness. But I think this advice, um, really the advice I would probably say to parents at that point, not as the, if you love them, they'll be okay. But like, you need support. You, this is when you build your village that's going to sustain you through the rest of parenting. So for me, the support at that ba- at that baby the the advice at that baby stage is really about support and and starting to create your village in a really intentional way. I love that, Carla. I'm really glad you brought that up because I it's funny because my biggest problem is not with the baby stage; it's with another stage. But um, I bet that, I know. I bet I, 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 I guess. I'm going to take a guess, but go ahead. Okay, I bet you know too. But anyway, um, but I love that you're bringing that up because it points, like he's just saying, like, if you love them, they'll be okay. Sorry, Mike, if you're listening. That we're really terrible. We, by the way, we don't know Mike and we really love your article. <laughs> we do um, love it in general. <laughs> and we'll share the link later. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah we'll so. share. But the point about that, what you're saying is that it goes to this idea in our culture that is really frustrating, which is, and that really leads to a lot of frustration, I think, for parents is that this idea that like it's all just instinctual yes right (laughs) that too and I feel like that it's kind of like the same thing and that I feel like that idea is kind of really harmful because you know you can love your baby but you can still get like enormously triggered you can love your baby and still like not know how to like swaddle a baby and soothe them you know you can love your baby like you can have all this love for this child which is you know you know, hopefully that's, you have that kind of, you know, so sometimes you don't have that attachment, but like you can have all these things and still not have, um, you know, a lot of like, there's really skills that you need. There's specific skills you need. You need to know how to like swaddle. You need to know how to soothe. You need to know how to like take care of yourself in a really deep way and know how important that is um before you go into this thing and you know because babies needs are so instant and instantaneous right that you know as adults we push our needs a little further down the road and then what happens is moms tend to just push our needs further and further and further down the road until we forget right. that we have any needs and then we have a nervous breakdown it, and it's crazy so it's not enough like if you love them they'll yeah. be okay yeah and the other thing that I think about that, I, I think this is a thing that happens to you when you become a social worker as your brain automatically goes to these like worst case scenarios is I'm always like, yeah, but what if your baby's not okay? Like, what if your baby gets really sick or your baby has some sort of disability or illness that they develop or God forbid, what if your baby dies? Does that mean you didn't love them enough? Like I could really go down a, a very not helpful rabbit hole with this that I know is not what the author intended. My guess is from reading this article, which in general is very kind and supportive of other parents and not at all shaming, um, is that what he intended was to calm parents down. And my guess is that what he was trying to say was, you don't have to get everything perfect. And the likelihood that you will really screw up your kid is unlikely if you love them. And I think probably what he meant by if you love them is if you sort of 
show up for them, they're going to be, it's going to be good enough. And I think that's probably what he meant. And I have to say that in most situations, that's generally true. Like if you show up for your kid and do the best you can, in most cases, you're not going to break or ruin your kid. Children are resilient and, and really that connection with us is fundamentally what they need. But I think for me, just reflecting clearly, it triggered me a little bit reflecting on my own baby stage experience because it was such an incredibly hard time for me. Yeah, yeah, and it is interesting because I I did actually find t- I I came at it from like oh like y- y- the message was sort of like just try to like have less anxiety. Like I think his intention was really to help us have less anxiety, which yes. is really helpful, you know. But uh, you know, but maybe, but then if maybe it doesn't it doesn't land that way. Um, so yeah, so I guess maybe the consensus is like, you know, yes, you have to love them, but like, you also have to, you also have to love yourself. You also have to have some skills and, you know, and, and maybe it's, it's a lovely, beautiful sort of big picture thing, but it's okay to, it's, it's not, it's not enough. Like actually you, you need more than just love. You need, you need like what you said, that support, that community, you know, you really need that. I just, the more and more I look at like parenting, I think it's crazy that we do this on our own (laughs) in these little houses, like would not connected to our families and not, you know, like in other cultures, like you just pass that baby off to an auntie or uh, someone who's just hanging around with you, you know, like, and if say, I mean, the, the idea that you, it takes a village. I mean, can you just imagine how nice that would be to like, be like, I'm just in this village and I'm just, there's a bunch of people around and I need a break from this baby. And you don't feel like you're an insane person or a bad mother for needing a break. You just like right. go and find someone and take a break because that's normal. No, I agree. I agree. But now I want to, I think this is a good time for me to guess. Oh yeah. Which yeah, yeah, stage. Yeah. Guess which one. I think you had a problem with the toddler stage. Let me see. Let me see. That was the intersection of love and fear is fear. Respect. Yes, this is true. Toddler stage is where I, I had, knew it. I have the most underlines and the most notes. So when I was reading that, I was like, oh, Hunter's not going to like this. <laughs> so, so what he says about the toddler stage, his, his sort of headline rule for that is the intersection of love and fear is respect. So Hunter, please go ahead. <laughs> we are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. MIDI care is covered by insurance, and with MIDI Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. joinmidi.com. 
We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. Okay, so this bothers me on so many levels. I know. I I mean, like, first of all, like, being a toddler is scary enough. Like, you just have no control over your world. Like, everybody's telling you what to do. Like, you don't, you know, the only thing you have control over is maybe what you put in your mouth, if that you have control over that, and, like, when you poop. Basically, as a toddler, like, (laughs) these are your big areas of your control. And, like, the world is humongous and there's all these adults and it's kind of scary. So I just feel like this idea that as adults, as parents, that we should be putting more fear into their world is uh, really misguided. I think that's really misguided because the fear, the idea, this idea of fear is like, yeah, your your child should be a little afraid of you. It's crazy because fear puts your child right into that fight, flight, or freeze stress response. And so they're in their stress response in the brain. And then when anybody who's in their stress response, they – it cuts off access to like the the more developed parts of the brain that that can learn and grow and change they might change a behavior quickly because they're scared but they're not learning the lessons you want them to learn they're just learning they're not learning how to do anything intrinsically they're just learning to they're just really it's really actually just weakening your connection to them and then any any kind of um, motivation it's weakening any motivation for them to to want to help you and and cooperate with you in the future i mean i really i really think this so he says like um he gives this little scenario which like drives me bananas um you know uh he says uh they will uh yeah uh, let me hear. Here it is. So he says, you, you, they will ask for something you don't want them to have and you will say no. They will not like this. Then they will stop liking you immediately. Well, yeah, okay. So they will cry softly at first and then they will, with gusto, they'll scream and howl, blah, blah, blah. But you know, if you cave, if you teach them right then and there what no means, you teach them what no really means, which I agree. Like you should hold your boundaries, but you can hold your boundaries without instilling fear in your children. Um, And so then he writes from that point over, you know, no will mean yes, but after a good loud cry. So I agree with him on that. Like you should definitely have boundaries, but you can, you can hold your boundaries with kindness. Right. And then he says, that um, adds some fear into the equation. And like, you know, he talks about this idea 
if Olivia is playing in the corner and I say, come here, and she doesn't, I'm going to ask nicely again just to make her sure she heard me. And if she didn't, she's not coming. Um, I'm going to say, Olivia, this is all in caps now, come here in a way that lets her know she better come now. Um, and, you know, and basically says, so daddy doesn't screw around. And I just like the whole, the whole <laughs> scene totally brought to mind like dog training, like come here, like ordering your child <laughs> to come here like a dog. Like, I feel like that is so disrespectful to another human being. Like there are just better ways to do this, Mike. I just feel like it's just, I just, it creates like this harshness, creates all this resentment. This children, it creates this resentment from being ordered around. And so if these kids have this resentment with them from being ordered around their whole life, yeah, then when they're teenagers, they're they're not going to want to listen to you. They're going to want to rebel against you. I don't know. This is, so this is my, that's my little, that's my beef about this, 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 this part. It just drives me bananas. <laughs> Here we go. I kn- the minute I read that paragraph, I was like, oh, we're going to be talking about this. <laughs> uh, okay. So I have so many, th- I have all the thoughts about this. Okay. Let's see. Um, number one, first of all, I, I totally agree with him that you have to, the toddler age is when we as parents need to learn to choose our words and our threats carefully, because there are times when we say, you know, if you throw one more candy bar, whatever it is, we're going to leave the grocery store and go home without anything. And like, don't say that if you don't mean it. And yes, there are times when that is absolutely appropriate to say, but don't say it if you don't mean it. And if you say no to a child, like just say no and stick with it. Um, and you know, there are times as my daughters have gotten older where I have said no to something and they have come back to me with a reasonable, thoughtful, uh, reason, which they can share with me in a calm manner. And I've said, you know what? you made a good point and I'm going to change my mind, but that's different from a kid having a giant meltdown and then the parent not being able to tolerate the meltdown. And so the parent gives the child what they want. So the child will stop freaking out. That's a problem, right? Because the kid is then learning that the way they get what they want is by losing their, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Let's go with no for now. (laughs) All right. Losing their little poops. So anyway, um, so I think that part about setting boundaries is important, but I agree with you. There's a way, like there are literally times when I will be holding my sobbing child. She is so angry at me because I've said no, but she's still in my lap and I'm still saying to her, I know you're upset with this. I know you're unhappy about this. I'm not going to change my mind. And in my mind, that's a kind way to set a boundary. Now, in all honesty, there are times when I'm like, stop it. No. And if you ask me again, you're going to your room. And so I think the difference between those two things is the key point now. And I'll tell you why. So in this article, the author says that he will intentionally sort of ask twice and then snap at his kids. Now in the grand scheme of parenting, is that the worst parenting move ever? No, of course not. Is it the most skillful one? Of course not. So now for him, it works and he intentionally does it fine. My goal as a parent is to not do that. Are there times when I do it? Absolutely. So I think the interesting question here is if it is your goal not to snap at your children and bark orders at them and you find yourself doing it more often than you'd like, how do you stop that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's the interesting question. And that's where ta-da, mindfulness comes in. Also, <laughs> you know, getting enough sleep is a huge part of this that many parents sort of disregard. And I, I know we have listeners who are like, oh, honey, I would love to sleep if I could. I would also love to have 
like a unicorn in my front yard. And those two things are both about <laughs> equally likely to happen. But the, and, and in that case, if you're just too tired or maxed out or stressed out for reasons beyond your control, all you can do is have compassion for yourself yeah. and try to figure out a way to, yeah, to like get some sleep. But I think that, you know, with this guy, clearly for him, that's an intentional choice to snap at his daughter. And he does say, you know, too harsh. Well, you're free to raise your kids your way. But I think the point is he wants his kids to take him seriously. He wants his kids to know that he means what he says. And I think we can all agree with that. I think that, you know, there may be sort of um, uh, kinder, more gentler ways to approach it. And the question is, do we as parents have sort of the calm equanimity peace of mind to be able to behave in a kinder, gentler way when we want to? Yeah. Yeah. It really comes, it all comes back to like, you're being able to choose that. Yeah, exactly. Being able to choose to be less reactive and being able to choose to be, um, you know, use more skillful language. Maybe you don't have more skillful language, you know, then, and, and you're just, you just in this. And the thing is, it's so hard because we've been trained to like, you know, we grew up maybe with orders and threats. So, you know, as you, when you get to be a parent, you've got like 30 years of practice <laughs> in right. this sort of one way of responding. And yes. so in your brain, it's literally like, it's, you know, the neural networks, like it's literally like there is a, a groove that is, is much easier than for to, those neurons to connect in that particular pattern to be reactive and snappish to your kids to kind of react in that harsh way. So it's in, so then when you practice to maybe introduce a pause there and see what, you know, that pause, even just trying to introduce that pause, like, it's like, you're trying to like bushwhack a a path through the woods, you know, (laughs) it takes so much, it's hard. hard. It takes so much practice. And I, I'm so glad you brought up the self-compassion because, you know, so, we're, you know, here we are saying like, oh, Hunter and Carla are saying like, that's not such a good idea. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the listeners will, you know, the listener, you might fill this, fill it in in your mind that, oh, I'm a bad parent if I snap at my kids. You know, you're not. It's about when we get to these points, like we have we have all these years of practice and years of habit. It's so hard. So it's about, it really is about self-compassion and like coming into uh, a more compassionate place with yourself. Like I, I have intentions to not snap, but I did anyway. Okay. I'll try not to be, I'll try not to be doing it. And then I'll, I'll practice it, begin anew and start again in the future. And, and we talk about all this in mindful parenting to sort of the nth degree. I mean, this is like a lot, there's a lot of work packed in this tiny little thing, right? Like how do you not snap at your kids? And I think the most powerful part of, of self-compassion for me is that one aspect of it is sort of reminding yourself of what researchers are calling quote common humanity which is just reminding yourself this is hard for everyone this is hard for me it's hard for you hunter it's hard for the author of this article it's hard for all of us so when this parenting stuff whether your child is a toddler or teenager when you're triggered by it try to remember it's hard for all of us and it's okay and i think this is where um we just have to keep coming back to, you don't have to be a perfect parent. And yes, you can snap at your kids and it's not ideal. It's not what any of us are going for and it's going to happen. And we keep working on it. 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, sometimes the idea the, of the the sort of like bank account is really helpful. I think when it comes back to some of these things, like I really like that idea of the bank account. And the idea of the relationship bank account is that, you know, with your kids, you, you want to have as much maybe attunement and connection as possible, right? You want to be, you want to be depositing in that bank account as much as possible. Like when they're a toddler, you may be wanting to say, you know, instead of saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this all the time. You might want to say, hey, you know, you know, cabinets stay closed or, you know, find some other language and just trying trying to be depositing in that relationship as much as possible with kindness, with snuggles, with real connection, with all that stuff, with appreciating totally. things they do right, thanking them for things they do right, all that good stuff. So that when you snap or when you have to, you know, create a boundary and you have to maybe take a deposit out of that relationship bank account, there's still plenty left over. Right. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Totally. (laughs) Meanwhile, the kids are just pulling everything out of the account, running off to the toy store, buying all the toys. And you're like, really? Oh, oh my God. So we started this thing with our kids. Like we're doing um, fam zoo. Here's a, uh, a, uh, a plug fam here. Zoo. Fam zoo. So this is like a little plug now, I guess for them, but what they do is it's like a, a it's like a prepaid credit card for your, your kids. And so my kids are seven and 10 now. And so because we my Bill and I are so bad at like having cash around to give them an allowance. <laughs> Like it was so like we're terrible at it. So now we've set oh, I up, have an allowance story for you in a minute. Go ahead. So we set up this thing, and what it's great because we set it up so it automatically deposits into their account um, every week their allowance, and um, and they can use these little credit cards to sort of buy things. But the thing I haven't figured out yet is how to like have them then take money from this account and like do some savings in the bank account. So I haven't figured that out yet, but. Um, I don't know why I got on my fam zoo. I can't remember. The account was, thing. The oh, account. We were talking there about was the bank account. account. Yeah, yeah. And then I went all my... literal. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. I have to just say to the parents out there that um, uh, giving your kids an allowance, it just it's like I'm a total failure at it because <laughs> we read Ron Lieber's The Opposite of Spoiled, which is a great book if you want to read about how to teach your kids like money wisdom. And then I was like, we're doing the allowance and we're going to set it up. So you put a third in savings and a third for spend and a third for donate. And I bought all the little things and they're gathering dust in the back of my closet. And I, we keep forgetting. And then finally my mother, my dear mother-in-law was like, um, the kids keep talking to me about the allowance you're not giving them. And I'm like, <laughs> I know I forget every Sunday. So she bought this little like allowance kit for us, which I still haven't assembled. So I, there's no, this is not a story that ends well with me. It's just, I still don't, I'm, I'm, we're not doing it. And eventually we will. That's all. The end. In a few months, we'll have to like go, come around to an update on that. (laughs) See how it's going. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know, guys, we're, we're experimenting for you if you have younger children. Um, because we are in the child stage, Carla. We are in the child stage of this article. So I, I resonated with this part. Um, and the part that So he describes this from around age four to age 12 as the golden time. So I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with his timing a little bit. I think the golden time starts when you're young. Oh, wait, these are two different things. Hold on. I would say the golden time for kids is about age five to 12. I would say the golden time for parenting is when your youngest child finishes kindergarten, but before Mm. you're in a house with a bunch of teenagers, because I feel like kindergarten is just kind of like preschool plus. But when they get out of kindergarten, you really are, and this is what I keep saying to parents of babies and toddlers and preschoolers, like 
you are in the weeds right now. You will not be in the weeds forever. And you will get to this beautiful space when your kids are like between the ages of six and 12, when you get to start feeling like a sane human a little Mm -hmm. bit again, and you can like get back to some self care a little bit. You get some breathing space. You can actually apply logic in your parenting and the children were (laughs) more than like, they will respond. It's amazing. Um, and then, you know, when we get to the teenage years, this podcast will just be like 45 minutes of Hunter and I sobbing. So you can just wait for that. It'll be fine. <laughs> no, um, no, because we will, no, we will have be not fine. built up all the resentment because hopefully right. we we'll won't have so ordered mindful. them around. <laughs> right. Um, but I do agree that this is a good time when your kids are like funny and cute and smart. And if you're at home going, oh my gosh, no, mine are not. They're total monsters. And we're like struggling through the summer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying every moment. I'm just saying there are more moments of funny, cute, engaging, talkative. They're still horrible, horrible moments. And that's reality. But there there are more moments. And so he makes this point that um, he says one thing that I think is really lovely. Um, He says, your job is not to turn your children into the person you always wanted them to be. It's to help them become the best version of themselves they have the potential to become. Um, And I actually thought that those were probably my two favorite lines. That's interesting because I totally circled your job is not to turn them into the person you always wanted to be too. Because I totally agree with that. And I love that. But actually, I have a problem, a slight problem with it's, it's to help them become the best version of themselves. They have the potential to become because some, I feel like there's a little bit of that. Like, I don't know. I feel like, so there's some of that like achievement kind of stuff in there. There's a little bit of tiger mom stuff in there where like we, they are, they're not okay yet. They're not full and complete. They're not whole human beings yet. And really, I think it's helpful to have a shift in parenting to see, instead of seeing your kids as not, uh, not enough yet, right? Because just because they're young, I really think it's a, it's really valuable to just shift towards this idea of like, our, it's more our job to love and accept them exactly as they are. And then let them become whoever they become. That's great. But it's not like, uh, I feel like to become the best version of themselves, they have the potential to become implies like, you know, a lot of, you know, maybe some like tutoring and a lot of like, like, let's do five activities because you could potentially become this or that or that. And I feel like it's more the problem most adults have is that we don't accept and love ourselves exactly as we are. And that hampers us in so, so many ways. It hampers us from doing things we want to do and to be coming, fulfilling maybe our own potential, right? And so if we can instead shift our mindset as parents to accepting them, loving and accepting them, them exactly as they are, even with all their warts, even with their unskillfulness and their immaturity. (laughs) I'm picturing a kid with a lot of warts now. Sorry, like metaphorical warts. You know, then, then that's really the best thing we can give them. That's my take on that. I agree. I agree. And I find that in this age, like, there is a big push coming from my children. And I see this in other kids this age. Um, there is that push that of wanting to become. Like, mm. you know, this is this, this, this place where they're very much in this middle ground where they've got one foot firmly in, in the past, in the very young child experience and one foot that I'm like, Oh dear Lord, are you already a middle schooler? Like, stop, please. Like, you know, my kids just yesterday, uh, Monday, they were home and we were hanging out all day and I was, I was working and listening to them play. And in one minute, 
you know, they've got like baby dolls and they're putting them to sleep in a way that was very much preschool style. And it was adorable and I loved it and I wanted to keep them there forever. And then the next minute they've pulled out their Lego sets and they're building a self-driving Lego car. And I was like, oh my God, the future is here. (laughs) Um, And then their Lego girls start having a conversation about wanting to impress boys. Oh my gosh. And I was like, (laughs) why don't the boys have to impress the girl? And I like couldn't stop myself. (laughs) But, you know, there is this sense of wanting to, like my daughter just, you know, I took my girls to see the college where my husband and I went to school. And when we went to visit the campus, we're walking around and they're like, so what do the kids do when they're not in school? And, you know, when they're not in classes, do they go to parties and what do they wear to parties? What do you do at parties and why do they drink alcohol? And and do you think I'm going to do these things? And so there is like, there is this constant pull. I find like I am finding myself wanting to be in the present with them and wanting to really like enjoy this period because I am finding this age to be much easier and more enjoyable than any other stage I've been with them in. And I find they're constantly pulling me to try new things. Like they're asking to do after school things they never wanted to do like they're And so I'm trying to do this balance of wanting to stick with them, meet them where they are. Yes. I'll sign you up for soccer. You can try that out, but like, Hey kiddo, calm down. You know, we'll get to college right now. You can just be here now. So I find that there's this sort of seems like this natural developmental push that fortunately seems to be happening at a rate that I can most of the time keep up with, but they're, they're curious. They're so deeply curious about what's next, um, that I think trying to support them in their curiosity while also balancing that with like, Hey, things are okay the way they are. That's, that's a challenge for me. It's an ongoing challenge. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you too. Like I'm seeing that in my daughters too, especially like my 10 year old. She's like, can I do swimming and can I do this? And I want to do this. And I have to be like, okay, like we, you know, let's have, let's try to, you know, we want to balance that. Absolutely. And the other thing I really loved about what he said about the child stage. And, and I agree with you guys, like Carla's totally right. It's, it gets better and it is, this is a much more golden time, but there are still a lot of challenges and hopefully like we are kind of building that bank account, right? You know, through our presence and like skillful language and, you know, we're trying to like deposit in that bank account, you know, so, so we get to this stage and they have some regard for your needs and things like that. But I really thought this was a good line too, that I, I circled and underlined, um, is that the things that make you most crazy in your children are the things that you hate about yourself. And I think that, I think that this, um, I, I thought that was kind of true, you know, like, it's like when we see if like, for me, if I see like my daughter being like ungenerous, I'm like, oh, you know, like, I know that's like a thing that for me, I've, as a, a young person I struggled with, or, you know, it's all these things that, and I think that what him pointing this out can be like a bell of mindfulness where it's like, oh, is this, why am I reacting to this? This is where we try to be more conscious, right? Can we turn inward and say, what is this about this that makes me feel so, you know, triggered? And it's often, it's like our internal stuff. It's our, it's our, it's our own stuff that's coming up and that's making us feel uncomfortable. And maybe it's not necessarily our kids. So I'd love to know what you think about that idea. Uh, I was sort of hoping we could just skip right (laughs) over this part. And the reason is because it's so true and it is an ongoing practice for me. And, you know, um, 
I have one daughter who is basically a carbon copy of me in a sort of terrifying way. Like there can't be a gene for the desire to sit more than you stand. And yet clearly both of us have it, for example. And in any given situation, my husband and our other daughter, who is a carbon copy of him, will they'll just want to stand. They would rather stand. And my daughter and I are like fighting over the one chair in the room, my daughter, my old, whatever the old. So anyways, it's been this very interesting development in our family that one of our children is a lot like my husband. And one of them is a lot like me in these fairly shocking and quite clear ways. And I find that the daughter who's so much like me, she pushes my buttons more. And it's totally because she is mirroring back to me my own unresolved stuff. Right. And my other daughter her stuff, which looks a whole lot like my husband's, I'm like, well, I picked you. I married that guy. Like, <laughs> I wanted that, right? So I can handle it in you. And so my my older daughter, you know, I um, it is. It is an ongoing practice for me to notice this and try to um, notice my triggers and become aware of them and try to become very clear about the ways in which she's triggering me because I haven't dealt with my stuff yet. And it is an ongoing practice of acceptance and self-compassion and trying to be really present in the moment so I can get some clarity on what's going on so I can understand, is this about her or is this about me? And sometimes the situation is about her, but the response I give, that's 100% about me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, he's right. And it's an important piece of work. And uh, I find therapy really helpful. I find journaling really helpful. I find sitting and getting clear and calm really helpful. Um, I find going for long walks and getting and, or some kind of exercise to get this tension out of me so I can be uh, calmer and more present with my kids really helpful. But this is definitely a piece of the puzzle that's, in, that's really, I don't know if it resonates with our listeners, but it definitely resonated with me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, this is why sometimes I joke, right, that this is like, like parenting is like the fast track to enlightenment. Oh, <laughs> gosh, I, yes. It's like, yes. because like, if the Buddha like had to deal with all these like triggers or, or whoever had to deal with like the Dalai Lama had to deal with all these children mirroring back like your worst parts of yourself, you know, so frequently and, and triggering That's these right. things in you it would be like the fast track to... Um, you know, at least here's the stuff you need to work on. Here That's it right. is, right there. Right there in a little tiny cute human that you yourself produced. It's crazy. Yep. Craziness. Yep. Yep. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, 
possibility and joy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. All right, let's move on. And then this teen stage, he has the teen stage and the grown stage. And um, the teen stage, he says that he, the kind of high, the, the sort of title for the teen stage is earn freedom by showing responsibility. And I really felt like that makes a lot of sense to me. I really had a lot of agreement with him as far as learn, as far as, you know, showing responsibility and giving them um, more responsibility sort of as time goes on. You know, he says from, um, from around the age of 13, your kids are going to want to have more of a say of things and it makes sense to give them more room to maneuver as you start down a five-year glide path that, to their being able to make even really big decisions for themselves. And I really think that's really important to remind parents like that. Yeah, like we should not be solving all their problems. Like we should be help maybe helping them solve their problems and giving them baby steps, but they should be experimenting with some freedom in the world and with being making some mistakes and maybe having some failures when it's not as like you know, as big and important, you know, when you still have this sort of support of you there. Um, so I, I really thought this was interesting. And, and then he writes, and I, and I don't know, like, if there's any research with this or at all, but he writes that peak parental compliance comes around the age of 12. If you're not at a level that can tolerate some erosion by then, you're pretty much screwed. And I thought that was very wise too, because he's really pointing to the idea of our connection, right? And the idea of power versus influence. So earlier in the to in the toddler stage, when he says like fear, talking he's talking about fear and orders. Really, I feel like that is like as we the more we sort of use power, right, the less influence we have. They they have an inverse relationship to each other: power versus influence. And I feel like if we want to have the most influence we can have, you know, in our teen years, we we instead we use we create boundaries in a way that is not about like reward and punishment. You know, we create boundaries in a more skillful way, maybe in a mindful parenting way. Like we create boundaries in a way that isn't eroding the relationship and eroding our influence so much because really what he's pointing to here is that we need that like and kids need our influence then too like you know my 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 own father used a lot of like power with me as a um 
teenager and man like he had zero influence at that time <laughs> like there was a lot of disconnection and like all kinds of stuff happened you know but I I feel like that he points to like that you're you know the, all that time before then you really want to be building that connection and building that so that you have influence at that time because we that's when we really need it right totally and I um yeah I I, I have no ifs ands or buts about anything you said i with all of it. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> yes, I, I thought you summarized it nicely. Um, you know, my biggest problem with this article was really in the uh, grown years, the adult years. So, uh, you know, his point in the adult years is that happy and gone is the best you can do. And I just, uh, no, I think I'd like happy and living in my house for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I actually thought that was... Um, I would say happy and gone and still in relationship with me, like still in some kind of connection with their parents. But yes, of course, I want my daughters to have um, an independent life where they feel comfortable and empowered and able to sort of make their decisions and, and live the life they want to lead. And I, I hope we'll still be in close touch and have a, a nice close relationship wherever they are in the world, which is obviously going to be right next door. Yeah, yes, exactly. Actually, we live in this like kind of funky little community where we are and uh, and we talk about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be lovely if you lived in Arden too? And they're like, yeah, you know, and then the other child was like, oh, no, I think I might want to live somewhere else. And I was like, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm so with you there. Um, happy and gone is the best thing you can do. Yeah, no, I think that it, I think the thing about like parenting is that like this is a relationship that that hopefully is, you know, a, a strong relationship you have throughout your life that supports you throughout your life, like where you support your children and they support you. And that's the thing that we need to remember when we are so stressed and so frustrated and so like, like going crazy when they're young and we are, we want to like use power and we want to use fear and ordering and threatening and all that stuff is that this is actually a long haul game. That it's not like these short-term things may like create like fear might create compliance right away. But in the long haul, like you're actually creating a relationship for the long haul. And it's my husband actually is really skillful at reminding me about this sometimes because I get really to be like, oh, I wasn't respected. And I get this whole like reaction, like so much like my parents and and I'm like, oh, well, they shouldn't have this if if they do this. You know, I get into this sort of threatening mode. And and he's incredibly skillful at reminding me, like, is that worth your relationship with your child? And I'm like, no, I guess not. But rah, you know, like I'm still kind of annoyed, you know. <laughs> uh, but but um, but it, it, that it really is the question to consider, right? Is like, this is sort of a long relationship, right? The thought I want to leave re listeners with is, you know, I, I, I am aware that we may have listeners in a variety of stages of child rearing, whether their kids are quite young or a little bit older, but it's, I know that I, even at times when I felt like I'd been yelling at my kids so much during their um, toddler and preschool years, I was like, the research says their brains are most valuable until the age of three. And then after that, it doesn't matter anymore. And I've already broken them. And I just want to say, like, it's not true. And it is never too late, no matter how old your children are, to start to behave in the relationship the way you want to. And yes, it's hard. It's a path. It's a journey. We're all still on. 
and you need support and you need information and you need wisdom and you need guidance. And that's why Hunter's here. And that's why I like, this is the work we do. And we also rely on other people for that support too. Um, but it's never too late. And when I talk to parents who really feel like my kid is 10, my kid is 15, my kid is 25. And I feel like I've missed the boat and it's too late. I don't want anybody to feel that way because think about a relationship in your life where the other person may not be behaving the way you wish they would, or may not be interacting with you or engaging or just being in the world, the wish, the way they wish they, that you wish they would, how great would it be if they started something different now? Like, would you walk, you would, that would be a wonderful gift. So no matter Mm -hmm. how, how old you are, how old your child is, really, it's never too late to start to come into the relationship in the way you want to um, yeah, yeah. And so even adults. Um, oh, absolutely. And <laughs> I took, I, I took a mindful parenting class early on when I was learning about mindfulness and there were parents there who were raising their grandchildren. There were parents in there who were trying to come into a different relationship with their adult children who were in their twenties and thirties. And it was so eye opening for me because I was struggling with like a two and a three year old to see like, Oh, Oh, this really is a long game. And I will be learning and growing in this relationship for the rest of my life, God willing. Yes. Yes. Well, well, well summed up, Carla. Thank you. Very, very nicely done. So we have come to the point in our, in our conversation where you were Carla and I, we like to share our parenting, uh, quote unquote, wins and fails, (laughs) challenges, whatever you want to call it. We, we want to be real with you people. You know, we want to be real uh, with you, dear listener. We want to, you know, just share that as we're teaching, we're learning, and it's, it's it, just like what you just said. Exactly. So anyway, um, Carla, do you want to start? Uh, or I do. I have okay. them. I have cool. them. Uh, so, so my win was that uh, the short story is I took my girls on a six-hour each way road trip by myself this summer. Holy uh, schmoly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, my family has a cottage on a lake and this year for work reasons, my husband was not able to join us on this journey. And I was like, we're going, I want to go to this place. It's my special happy place. It's six hours away. And I've done like hour long drives alone with my kids, but I've never driven that far alone with my kids. And I had, I was anxious about it because I'm an anxious mom. And I, I was brave and they were brave and we did it. And my daughter managed to grab the bowl before she puked both times. So she puked right into the bowl when she got car sick and we listened to some great audio books and we had some great conversations and we did it and it was great. And I would totally do it again. And I felt like it was a parenting win because I was brave when I wanted to be. And I did this thing I wanted to do, even though I was nervous about it. And we all like stepped up and behaved ourselves, all three of us. And we did great. So that's my win. And Carla, you know, I, I bet like you had a conversation where you were really real with your kids too. Like where you said, you know, I, I have never done this before. You probably expressed some of your worries and you asked them for help. I bet. So that's, I'm, I'm, I did. I'm, I did. Yes. I did a version <laughs> of that. So I yeah. didn't say I've never done this before because okay. I try yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I try to not put more on them than they can handle. I want to be like sensitive about not freaking them out. So what I said was, I just want to remind you guys daddy's not here. So there's only one grown up, and it's really important that I focus on the road. So if you need things, we're going to be a team and you're old enough now that you can either solve problems on your own, or you can tell me. So I have enough time to pull over to the side of the road or pull off the highway. And they, they stepped up and they told me when they needed to pee. So we peed on the side of the highway and not in the car and like all of these things. So 
Um, they were great. They were total champs and we had a discussion about it ahead of time. And then at the end I thanked them and we talked about how great it was. And it was, it was a total parenting win. Woo. I wish I had sound effects. So I could be like, like applause for you. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, my brain automatically went to the like fake fart. Like, you know how on some of those horrible, like morning radio shows, they do like the, I think I've been around my kids too much. I'm sorry. I'm not in that world. (laughs) Really? Your kids don't fart all the time? I, I've never heard like a fake fart on a morning radio show. Oh, I don't hear them that often, but <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I usually listen to NPR. They don't actually fake fart on NPR, but every once in a while you get like one of these shock jocks and they do the whatever. Okay. Anyways, apparently I just, I'm the only person on the planet who knows about the fake farts on morning shows. I, I'm sure right. one of the listeners does. <laughs> uh, okay. Parenting fail. It just happened this morning. So um, the kids... A day camp. There's, there's some. They're going to a summer camp. It's a day camp. They stayed late last night because it was a special evening, and they were exhausted this morning. And I knew they were exhausted, and I'm exhausted because I haven't been sleeping well. And we did the whole conversation that we have, where I was like, "You guys are exhausted. Mommy's exhausted. So we all need to help each other and be really kind to each other," which is a conversation we have a lot when we're tired. And then I blew it. We were in a cafe getting breakfast before I put them on the bus back to camp, and. My daughter was exhausted and she couldn't deal with taking the napkin napkin to the garbage can, even though she was already walking to the garbage can with her cup in her hand. Like the possibility of also picking up a napkin at the same time and walking that over was like more than her little brain could handle. And she's like, that's my sister's napkin. I'm not taking that. And I, um, I totally used fear on her. I was like, if you don't put that napkin in the garbage, you're not going to special night at camp next summer. <laughs> everything about this is a poor move. Everything. First of all, like threatening doesn't help. She was already freaking out. I'm not actually going to like, I'm not going to remember today next summer when she's like, can I go to special night? I'm not going to be like, no, remember a year ago when you would, and it was like this total standoff where we were like, she's going to buckle. And I'm staring at her and she's staring at me and the napkin is on the table between us. And like, people are kind of looking at us. And my older daughter is like, are you kidding me with this? And finally she like looks at me with these beady eyes and like reaches her hand out really slowly and picks up the napkin and like stomps off. And I had a brief moment of like, yes, I won. And then I was like, oh no, I won nothing. Like nobody won in that interaction. That was a terrible interaction. And I felt bad. And I, I said, I'm sorry. I snapped at you. Like, I know you're tired. I'm tired too. And I, and she, uh, she then apologized for like being annoying about it. She said, "Um, I'm sorry. I instigated you, which isn't exactly what happened, but I thought it was, it was a nice attempt to use the word. Yeah. Uh, Vocabulary word there. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and it was just a poor parenting moment. And I apologized and I gave her a hug. Um, I still find it obnoxious that she did not want to carry the napkin, but I know that her brain was so tired. And so then I put him on the bus to camp and wished the counselors good luck and walked away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that that was great. Like you had this repair moment, you know, and that we was did. Oh, yes. that was skillful because, you know, it's not like it wasn't like a, a straw that broke the camel's back. So that, that no, was. No, but it, you know, it felt bad. And I, I realized, I, you know, I appreciate when I'm super tired, when my husband does extra unnecessary things for me that I can clearly do for myself on a normal day. But when I'm so tired, I just can't deal because my little brain isn't working. And looking back, I really don't think there would have been any problem with me throwing away the napkin um, because she was just too tired to deal with life. Um, So it's fine, whatever. It's not the end of the world, but that's my parenting fail. And now it's your turn. (laughs) 
Okay. All right. So my parenting win, it's funny because in the moment it was like not such a great win. So it felt like it. So anyway, we've been having some uh, challenges with our, like we've been kind of stepping up some of the responsibilities around the house, which happens as your kids get older, like they, they just have more responsibilities around the house. So we've been asking them to put away the clean dishes and we've been asking them to take care of things. And like my big issue is like, like, I feel like, you know, responsibilities come before entertainment, you know, like whether it's losing yourself in a good book or screen time or whatever it is, like you should generally in life take care of your responsibilities for the most part, you know, first before you kind of go off on entertainment, you know. So anyways, we, we, we had to, my husband bravely called a family meeting (laughs) and we, we had it on Sunday morning and my oldest daughter, of course, has like anticipated this family meeting and was like in a grumpy mood because we had called this family meeting and tried to like pull her clothing over her face so she wouldn't participate and things like that. But ultimately, the win is that we had this family meeting and actually it went, considering the recalcitrance of my oldest daughter, it went fairly well in that we passed around a talking stick and we talked skillfully. We talked pretty skillfully about what we're needing and why things are important. And my youngest daughter offered like a suggestion. She said maybe a checklist would help me. And so we had this family meeting and basically Bill and I were talking about like, we have these needs. And one of the needs we have is for us to just, we would like to get along in the house. And there's been a lot of, we've had a lot of late nights with sort of swim meets. So they've, they, it's been a little bit more unsettled than usual with some arguing and snarky snarkiness and scornful remarks and things. So we wanted to talk about that. So the win was having this meeting and actually it was totally, it was really effective. My youngest daughter sort of right away. She was like, I get it. And she like went and took care of all these responsibilities. And then she was early to go to her horseback riding lesson, which was like being ready, which was like amazing. And then it, with my oldest daughter, she had like, complete like resistance to the whole thing and she had a big meltdown and the the what happened there is that well you know there's you know she had a big problem and there was only so much we could do about it but it was interesting because she she had this big meltdown and resistance the day of and then all week she's been really great about getting her responsibilities done so nice you know, it's just, it may not always look pretty, I guess, but having these conversations and figuring out how everyone can meet their needs, it really does work. So totally. that's my win. Love it. Yay. That's a great win. I love it. <laughs> Mazel tov. And um, my fail, um, yeah, um, I don't know, like, I didn't write these down, Carly. You you were probably the really good student, like, wrote yours down. And I No, totally, it's just that I- totally I forgot. Um, it's not hard to remember a fail. When it, <laughs> oh, it was like two hours ago. It was so fresh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe my fail was, well, this morning, maybe I, I feel like I could have definitely done something better. My youngest daughter does this thing where she, when she gets overwhelmed, she freezes and she like does nothing. And it drives me freaking bananas because it's yeah. like, I'm like, just take the jam and put it in the refrigerator. Like, it's not <laughs> like you can do this, you know, like, and she's like, I can't. And I, um, my win in that is that I didn't, 
it didn't it didn't trigger me like I didn't get angry like I could see that this was clearly she had a problem and but I think I could have been more generous this morning and I and um I think I could have been more generous in um allowing us to maybe be a little later because what ended up happening is that she she didn't put the gym in the refrigerator she didn't you know, feed the cats and do the things that she needs to do to get out of the house. And she um, stayed home. And this is what happens, like, when something like this happens. My husband works from home, so she could just – she just stayed home and stayed in her room and read books. But she missed this really fun Adventure Games Day they had at their camp. Oh, bummer. And I really – I think my fail is that I could have slowed down and I could have been more – more generous in that moment of helping her because it it really wouldn't have been too much skin off my back to help her in that moment. And I, I wish I had, I guess. So I don't know. That's my fail. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Those don't feel good. Yes. So we're ending on just like sad. No, (laughs) but that, yeah, (laughs) that happens, I suppose. Well, I will, I will end with my, uh, let's end on a happier note, which I will tell you that one of my favorite things that I discovered this summer is that, um, I love Captain Underpants. You do not really. Oh, I totally What about him is so alluring. Okay. So, um, (laughs) so first of all, I will forever be grateful to Captain Underpants because he is the reason that my younger child can read. She is very happy to do things on her time and schedule and she had no interest in reading and like nothing was moving. And And there was no, you know, and she was about to be seven and she was the only first grader and blah, blah, blah. And then she discovered Captain Underpants and literally overnight, I'm not even kidding, she was reading. And she sat there and read the entire series and occasionally looking over at me and was like, mommy, this is so inappropriate. (laughs) This hilarious (laughs) look on her face. And she was actually reading, like she can legit read now. But then, um, so I, I have the humor of like an eight year old boy and this is one of those things that I just like, I guess this is why I talk about farts, but I, I had to come to terms and just accept this about myself that I, I think poop jokes are funny. And we went to see Captain Underpants and it was clever and it was funny and my kids loved it and I totally enjoyed it. And if this is not your kind of humor, please feel free to totally disregard me. Um, but I, the girls and I just thought it was hilarious. And best of all, they didn't come home with any obnoxious taglines like, oh my God, look at her butt. Oh, my girls have been doing that too. So that's what I'm saying. I took that one, that that one, I think maybe it's from a song or something, but the song was in the movie Sing, which was totally, like, it was a cute movie, but there were some taglines that we came home with that I'm like, can we please stop? Because saying that once is cute and saying that 87 times makes mommy crazy. But uh, the only thing they came home with from Captain Underpants was tra-la-la, which is what he says every time he becomes this character. And so there were no annoying taglines. Um, I I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was hilarious. So I'm just going to say it. It made me happy. Yay! Thank you so much, Carla. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. So today, you know, we talked about the article. We'll put it in the show notes on mindfulmamapodcast.com about the uh, five rules of parenting. 
And um, if you have any questions, you can email me at hunter at hunterclarkfields.com. Clark with an E, Fields with an S all together. And uh, we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a rating. And it's really easy to do that on your phone. You can search for the Mindful Mom podcast on your app on the phone and just do it right on the phone. So before you do anything else, do that. Okay. And um, come, we will, uh, I, things, um, I don't have a lot of things because we're coming up right now. And coming up in the next episode, uh, it's going to be a solo podcast and it's called, it's, it's not about you and it's all about you. So you'll have to figure out what that is next time. And finally, Thank you to William Fields for the music. And thank you, Carla, for coming on and sharing your fabulousness with us. It's always such a pleasure. I love you, Hunter, and I love your work. And I'm always very grateful to be here with you. Yay. All right. Have a great week. Namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for all of your life? I'm a mom who has gone from really being stressed and yelling when my kids were young to having a more grounded, more at ease relationship with life and having more enjoyable cooperative relationships with my kids and I've shown hundreds and thousands of women around the world how to do this and I want to show you how to do it too. So if you are currently feeling stuck or stagnant this is definitely for you. I've created a free downloadable audible training mindfulness for moms the superpower you need and it will show you how to respond rather than react how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids for a lifetime. To get on on this audio training absolutely free, simply visit the website www.mindfulmomguide.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.